Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the weekly series, joined by colleagues Tony D'Onofrio, by Tom Meehan, uh, and our producer Kevin Tran. Uh, a busy day for us here at the LPRC today, uh, February 2nd, 20, 2021. We've got our big annual LPRC kickoff, uh, normally uh, hosted by Bloomingdale's and their uh, wonderful flagship store in Manhattan uh, as the day after the NRF big show every year. Clearly, because of pandemic, it's virtual. And thank you, Tom, by the way, as one of our um, recurring hosts there um, during your Bloomies days. So um, with no further ado, we'll launch into the podcast um, as we uh, tend to other duties as well, but we're excited always to talk with each other and you all about what's going on in the world. Um, you know, starting again, as we are during the weekly series, uh, talking about the global pandemic, the virus uh, called SARS-CoV-2 and the disease called uh, COVID-19 that comes from that. Um, we'll talk a little bit about um, the spread and understand disease. And we've got the top scientists, physicians, physician scientists around the world and others, computer scientists, everybody that's interested doing all kind of research and development around the virus and preventing and treating it. So, uh, but there's some interesting case studies that come out trying to understand in the same way that, uh, that criminologists like myself trying to understand the spread of, of offending, particularly violence, but um, that it is almost viral in some cases and, and is more transmissible probably because of social media and encouraging uh, each other um, and setting examples and uh, also providing this specter of uh, an erosion of consequence that you're not going to get in trouble. And uh, we see on the left and the right in these protests that have gone on for the last nine or 10 months that you know, all the selfies and all the videotapes and you know, all the video of each other and so on, uh, they're providing themselves and others potentially some kind of in the moment entertainment that ultimately uh, documents and, and enables prosecution and some consequence. But in the moment, that's what we all deal with in all of us in crime prevention, loss prevention, asset protection, and trying to help people do better. But in look at dynamics of spread, uh, there's an interesting case study of, and I'm not going to pronounce it probably, and I apologize, Manaus, uh, Brazil, um, where in the first wave back in the March-April 2020 timeframe, evidently based on an, an inference coming from blood donations. And there was a lot of participation from this uh, metro area, uh, evidently near the rainforest or in it, uh, of around 2 million humans, 2 million people. Um, it looked like about 70 80%, around 76% were exposed based on antibodies and that the antibodies were not presumed at that time or later to, to um, launch and, and sustain themselves for, a, for too long. So the idea was potentially in the spring because of such heavy infection um, spread that they probably achieved some kind of group or population or herd immunity. Um, 
So they sort of went back to somewhat normalcy, but they had a huge surge. They had hospitalizations, uh, incredible amount of death, um, these horrific scenes like we saw all throughout the United States and around the world of uh, mass burials and so forth. But then now, starting in September, October, started to experience the second wave. And now it's, it's uh, off the charts, evidently. Uh, and we see the same thing with uh, incredible amount of serious disease and death. And, um, and it seems to defy the idea of, well, wait a minute, I thought that this community probably achieved herd immunity in the spring, certainly with current, you know, ongoing infection and, and other therapies. They also went through a series of lockdowns, even though they did come out of lockdown and even had demonstrations when they did um, in late fall, which may have contributed to this new wave. But the idea that waves come. So they've also, as we many of you know, have identified, they've identified several variants through, through the analysis of the different virus uh, types that they're getting out of the sampling. Uh, from the population and have identified several variants that look to be more transmissible, possibly even more virulent, and possibly even might um, the, render the, the vaccines a little less efficacious. So, you know, now there's a hypothesis, two or three or four hypotheses about what's going on and what are the lessons learned? Uh, is this generalizable to here in the United States or other places around the world? So, you know, stay tuned. But the idea is, again, that, you know, viruses spread. That's what they do. They transmit to survive. And it's uh, that infection and transmission, the transmission chain is what we talk about every week on this podcast. And, and we also know now from the biologists that, you know, transmission, particularly massive infection, um, enables uh, adaptation. It's the same thing, I believe, again, in crime prevention, that if you don't dose properly, uh, the same as antibiotics, even with a bacterial infection, you might take out something or temporarily delay, but you might actually make it worse if you don't do it right or we don't apply enough of a dose. Um, and we may have seen this in some of the writing where people were arrested, but only a few of the groups that were causing destruction, that were breaking windows, looting, burning, attacking people, and so on, where most were not arrested, or even those that were, most were not prosecuted. They might have even been released within an hour or two. So does that make things worse? And we're seeing the same thing potentially with virus and uh, with the virus around the world where there's this, uh, the strains come out, there's adaptations, mutations occurring in different areas as they adapt and overcome in the same way that humans do. So stay tuned to that, but that's what we're trying to do. When we talk about masking and, and then simple things about masking. We see, hey, double, triple, quadruple mask and so forth. But again, we're just trying to set up barricades and obstacles for the aerialized, you know, and droplets that, uh, that come out of us, um, that the particles, the viral particles are in, and that's the only way to transmit the virus from one person to the other, other than touching and touching a surface or a person. That's why we're continually washing hands and, uh, to a certain extent surfaces, but, uh, so stay tuned and pay attention. We know that the same case, so it can't be transmitted if you're not a near another person. It won't be transmitted if we are, if both people are masked, particularly if there's enough of a filtration, enough of an obstacle course that none or very few of the viral particles make it in through another person's, through that obstacle course and into them. Um, and I think a big thing that we're all learning too, of course, is the difference between infection um, of exposure to a virus. And that may account for this high level of antibodies being found. And, um, and then they're infected, but are they, did they actually get the disease? Did they launch enough of a, of a 
immune response, both uh, innate and, and adaptive, to fight the virus. And now they may have some immunity for a month, a year, something in between, or who knows. So um, there, there's a lot going on. And so when you look at if you're exposed, if you're actually infected, in other words, we onboard some viral particles, but we're not, we didn't get the disease COVID-19, you know, or if we did, maybe we're asymptomatic. Uh, we may be symptomatic mildly, uh, exhibiting one or more, or maybe serious disease or even, or even, even death. So, um, you know, these things are relatively, they're based on common sense, on logic models, on observation, like any science. And I think, again, it's all uh, directly relatable to what we all do in crime control. So that's why I kind of bring it up and look at, but, but we learn and we, every time we think we've got something, we know better. And any of us that have been in loss prevention or asset protection for more than a year, more than a decade, realize that every time we think we've got something, we feel like we're playing whack-a-mole and it can come back, come back stronger, come back weirder, uh, more ad adapted. And how many of us have seen uh, how criminals adapt um, and they, we call it displacement, right? In place or time or target or method uh, and seriousness and so on uh, of what they're doing. So um, I think on the vaccine front, uh, again, uh, probably well, over 50 in preclinical, we're understand there are at least 37 in phase one, um, dose ranging and safety profile trials phase two, there are about 24 vaccines. Uh, there, there are now 20 in phase three. 10, as we know, or either have emergency use authorization or are fully approved around the world. Now that's 10. And we, we believe that there are two more with Novavax and with the J&J. &J. Uh, and then we know now with uh, AstraZeneca uh, is approved in some places, but the United States may well have four or five or more vaccines approved by summer uh, and in wide circulation because of the Operation Warp Speed. Um, there are already millions of doses that are either in production or have been uh, still waiting uh, the possibility of approval. Uh, we understand at least four vaccines have been abandoned, two by Merck, uh, that were safe and uh, effective, but just didn't blow past the 50% uh, efficacy goal or objective or requirement that the FDA uh, laid down uh, early in this pandemic. So, uh, but a lot of activity in that area, um, a lot of research around reinfection, uh, after vaccines. And some of us have seen some anecdotal um, things around that. Um, but again, the idea here is that um, the vaccines provide us a lot, but they don't provide everything and nothing, of course, ever will. Um, but it's important to note uh, all the research that's going on. Uh, you know, on the encouraging side, uh, there's a lot going on in the, in the vaccination area. We saw the prior administration reach the 1 million a day goal. Now we're about, uh, evidently, according to reports, about 1.3 million per day in the United States. Uh, over 33 million uh, Americans have been vaccinated uh, with the first, and, and it's going to be closing on 7 million of those will have completed two doses. Um, we know that, uh, so that's pretty significant. Over 100 million people have been vaccinated and in uh, 62 countries around the world. And, and so around the world, we're four to 5 million per day uh, are being vaccinated. So that continues. Uh, again, we saw it's like with the blood flow into the capillaries that the, down in those capillaries is very difficult for tiny, tiny health departments that might have one or two people uh, or even a dozen uh, to try and get out and, and, uh, and conduct the immunization uh, process we've seen in LA and other places where there's been a little bit of disruption. Um, 
where somebody's tried to disrupt the process. Uh, so um, that's, you know, provides those further hurdles and a challenge to those of us in crime and loss control to try and help better understand and help protect. And that's why you saw at LPRC, we've talked about uh, a planning call, and then we had the uh, actual first vaccine call with uh, multiple, multiple retailers on there, uh, as well as the National Association of Chain Drug Stores and the FMI. So um, we'll continue to support in that area. Um, good news there. So we know the J&J uh, is probably close to potential approval. Um, it looks like they've got from 49 to 80 plus percent efficaciousness. Uh, it, it does range though, because in South Africa, where they were fortunately did the trials, uh, there was unfortunately um, this new variant that seems again to be highly transmissible and may uh, even uh, evade somewhat the vaccine's um, mechanism of action. So uh, that's going to be, you know, stay tuned there, but it still gives people a fighting chance and a better chance for us to break the transmission chain. Uh, in addition to staying away from others and not getting too close into that viral cloud uh, or masking or both. So, um, you know, going over to the therapies really quickly, you know, Regeneron announced that their monoclonal uh, antibody cocktail, which uh, evidently includes two different uh, forms of that therapy, uh, seems to be very, very efficacious. In a, uh, and they don't identify it's a phase one or two, but it looks like several hundred uh, test subjects, participants, uh, which of course in our field is pretty robust, um, but that looks to be very promising. So uh, at the LPRC front, I mentioned that we're having today, and this will be out there and available LPRC kickoff. We've got four amazing panels going on as part of that great leadership there um, that are going and doing some deep dives into what they experienced in 2020, overall lessons learned, mistakes, adaptations that they made, that we made as a group, um, and then uh, what they're doing uh, to leverage all the learnings in 2020 uh, for 21 success. And of course, all the adaptations of the retail enterprise that uh, each of us are assigned to protect and those adaptations and how we continually as an APLP field need to ad adapt, adjust, but get ahead of things, better leverage technology and distance uh, remote uh, participation by our employees and contributions and so on. So um with no further ado, I'm going to go over to uh, Tony D'Onofrio and Tony, um, CEO of ProSecure uh, Retail Global. Um, if I'm getting the title correctly, and then we'll go to Tom after that. But Tony, you Thank got this. Thank you very much, uh, Reed. A pleasure to be on this. And again, great update on what's going on with the vaccines and, and COVID. And also looking forward to today's LPRC event. So let me start with uh, what's happening uh, in the parking lots with the curbside retail. There is some new research from sale through in terms of four curbside customers to know in 2021. In a survey that of U.S. consumers, 31% of use BOPIS or buy online pickup and store or curbside pickup this year. They identify four different types of shoppers. I'm sharing this because this is going to become a very important sector for retail going forward, shopping in the parking lot. So Persona One is the new shopper who's new to the brand. Uh, welcome emails, which is a way to get them there. They have an open rate of uh, 50%. And the key to this persona is to work it into your welcome series, be crystal clear in the confirmation, promote your mobile app, recommend popular products, get social, click and collect. 
Persona number two is the Bopist beginner. So the beginner would buy online, pick up and store. 39% purchase from new brands during the quarantine and 88% said they plan to stick with those new brands. So for their segment, it's about segmenting by the customer's motivations, spotlight your safety requirements, update your website filtering, try trending, collaborative filtering recommendation, work it into your re-engagement messaging. Persona number three is the pickup pro. 83% of consumers are happy to share their data with brands for personalized experiences. For this persona, facilitate a frictionless pickup experience, personalize as much as possible, prop up post-purchase messaging, look ahead with uh, predictive analytics and understand the time that time is of the essence. And then the final persona, number four, the loyal shopper. This is a very critical shopper. The loyal shopper lifetime value is 30% higher than average. For this persona, mix up the messaging, add it to the abandonment, lean into your loyalty program, incorporate interest-based recommendation, and think about what you can test. Uh, consumers are clicking, collecting 78% more than they did pre-pandemic. Brands doing, doing it best include Target, Home Depot, Best Buy, Kohl's, Dick's Sporting Goods, Walmart, Ulta Beauty, Ulta Beauty and others. It, this, is, to me, is a critical new way to shop. That will not, It's not going to go away. It's going to continue. And for a key part of this audience, we got to figure out how to continuously protect it. So it's a little bit about shopping in the parking lot. Lana, let's go to the mall and see what's happening tomorrow. And this, this research is from JLL, and they called it Playing Better in Retail in 2021. So in 2019, the retail and restaurant brands that provided the most interactive and engaging experiences led the market in 2020 was those that provided safety and ease of purchase. In 2021, convenience will remain as a key metric for better performance. For malls, uh, consumers are looking for centralized pickup areas. In one of the surveys that they cited, 70% of pickup shoppers said they would like to pick up they would like to have one pickup area in the mall. Currently, apparel and accessory stores account for 57% of total mall space. The study also highlighted uh, the percent of bankruptcies by sector in 2020. So uh, 25% of the bankruptcies in 2020 were apparel. Home furnishing was 14%. Restaurants were 11 Department stores 11 other 39 and then they, uh, JLL, which specializes in real estate, um, really thinks about what's going to happen to mall. And they see mall morphing into office space, more industrial, residential, educational, and medical, in addition to shopping. Uh, and they, what they see is a trend of employees seeking shorter commutes and mixed-use benefits. Malls could serve the demand for 15-minute cities in the near future. With retail centers linked to business hubs and affordable apartments all within a ready-made mixed-use district. JLL is predicting that by the end of 2021, 80% of the office workers that were inside offices in 2019 will be back into offices because of the vaccines. But we're not ready to declare a victory for urban retail. 
positive signs are in the market, um, which were difficult to find in 2020, uh, and they're now beginning to emerge in 2021. So the mall will be back. It will be different, but not necessarily as we've seen it in the past. And to me, and I've been following this for a while, if you want to understand what's going to happen to malls, look to Asia and especially to China to see the future of the retail mall. And I'm going to close with one of my favorite studies that comes out every year about this time in terms of what's happening to technology inside of um, retail stores. This is the 2021 store experience study from RIS News. Uh, in there, they also pro pro provide some data. So for example, uh, one of the final, uh, once the numbers are all counted, they expect that total retail sales of 2020 will be up nearly 3%. For 2021, the projections are for in-store sales to be up 4.8%, which is a very robust number. Desktop, desktop commerce up 9.7%, and mobile commerce up over 12%. Overall, retail growth is projected to be up 4.7% in 2021, which again, is very robust. Uh, store count is expected to be up 4%. And 1.8% of stores will be remodeled. Tier one retailers will spend 5% more in IT for the enterprise and 4% more for stores in terms of technology. Uh, also interesting, they shared uh, how we're spending money in stores. So total revenue shared by customer journey, 72% of the money is being spent in store. Buy online is 11%. Buy online delivered from DC is 11%. Store delivery, 5%. Ship from store, 5%. Bopus, click and collect, 4%. Other, 3%. And then they also highlighted the market leaders. So the ones that are doing it well, where are they spending their money? And they're defining market leaders. Anybody that claimed 10% or higher increase in sales in 2019. So those market leaders are spending 44% higher, have 44% higher store count growth. They have 39% higher remodel growth, so they're remodeling and opening more stores. They're also spending 69% more on IT enterprise infrastructure, 23% more on store IT, 20% more on uh, buy online, pick up and store technologies, and 18% more on store delivery. Uh, and finally, some of the key areas that I really liked in the study, the top five priorities for retailers in 2021 are personalizing the customer experience, supporting contactless payments, upgrading customer relationship management, loyalty programs, empowering store associates to improve customer service, and optimizing the digital journey for store fulfillment. They also list the five technologies, uh, the new technologies that will be most important in 2021. And they are SD-WAN, so bigger pipes or wide area networks, RFID, microservices infrastructure architectures, video analytics, and edge computing. And they end with a forecast that retailers expect 5G usage to grow 11x in the next five years. So that's a little bit where technology is going in 2021. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tom. Thank you, Tony. Uh, thank you, Reed. Just a couple quick points, and uh, just on, I'll start off with uh, the COVID uh, vaccination update. So there are two things, and one we've been 
speaking about, but it's just a, a quick reminder of there have been a really large amount of websites popping up with um, home remedies, if you will, uh, some actually uh, talking about uh, prepayment to register for vaccination. I only uh, continuously remind it because it continues to happen. Uh, it's actually predominantly um, in the UK today uh, being uh, almost uh, every day something new comes out. And uh, as um, what we normally see is things that tend to occur from a nefarious nature in the UK transition very cleanly to the United States, we are seeing these websites pop up. And again, some of them from, I think, two weeks ago, I said, look very, very official and ask for very small amounts of money to prepay. That's that's just a reminder of that today there is no prepayment to or pre-registration that requires payment on the web. The other thing to be mindful of is that in some states, legitimately, there are pre-registration in the U.S., to get onto a list, be very, very careful what when you're registering to make sure that it's an official site and that you're not giving out um, uh, personal information. What you will find with most of these registration sites is they're actually simply just looking for name, uh, date of birth, and uh, email. They're not actually the legitimate sites asking for much more than that. Um, as always, any personal information should be safeguarded. So just be very, very careful where you're putting that information if you are registered. I know that when I registered for the state of New Jersey, um, it asks very little information. So uh, just something to keep out there. Uh, unfortunately, the bad guys are creating honeypots, if you will, in some cases, just to collect information. Uh, another COVID-19 uh, piece that's starting to occur is as people are very excited and posting their vaccination cards, um, what they are, there are two things that are occurring. This has uh, been very, very rarely seen in the U.S. so far, but again, in Europe, it's it's pretty it's happening pretty regularly, where uh, people are posting the vaccination cards, and there's kind of two two things here that to be mindful of. One, there's personal information on those cards that when you post the picture, uh, some people aren't fully blacking out and they're basically posting that personal information for everybody to know. The other one, which is a newer phenomenon, which I do uh, see very little in the US today, I see quite a bit in Europe, is the sale of these cards. So someone goes on, takes your card, takes a picture of it, photoshops it, goes out and prints it. And uh, you may be asking yourself why someone would buy one of these cards. Well, uh, in certain places in, in the U.S. And, and worldwide, these vaccinations are hard to get. So if you want to travel and you want to move around, these cards, uh, in theory, will help you do that. So in the U.K. today, you can go and online and buy a card that is legitimate but doesn't belong to you, belongs to someone else. So Reed got his vaccinations and um, he posts it online. The scammer takes it, cleans it up, puts your name on it, and then sells it to you for 250 50 euros or 250 pounds or $300, depending on where you're buying it. And then you, uh, when you go to travel, you can use that to avoid quarantine, to avoid things. So this is a new phenomenon. I expect it to increase. And again, it isn't an anti-vaxxer uh, thing. It's really, a, I can't get my vaccination yet and I need to travel. So just a, a kind of a, a reminder as always, be very mindful of what you're posting online. Once it's online, it doesn't go away. So if you're getting that vaccination, um, 
uh, you know, card, please. I know we're all very excited about it, but if you're going to post it, make sure that everything is blacked out so that no one can use it uh, either for your personal information standpoint or from a standpoint of being able to sell that. And then I'll wrap up with kind of a just a note on uh, Tony talked about um, the trends and what's coming and uh, all of them, if you really think about it, are digital. And one of the things that all of us really have to work very carefully on is as the digital acceleration is occurring at such a rapid rate, we are uh, basically digitizing everything. And I know Tony and I've spoken about this many times before, but your digital risk footprint increases dramatically. So all of these things that are occurring require an extra special look. And I know that the LPRC is doing that through um, many of the working groups, whether it be the data, the ORC, or the innovations working group to really say, how do we stay ahead of that and mitigate some of these potential losses? We are starting to see uh, some of the fraud exposure that occurred from the rapid change over to, to e-com and some of these fraud numbers that are coming out. And it's just a, a reminder, as always, is as you approach new digital ventures, that you do everything you can to safeguard them. And back over to you, Reed. Wow. Thanks so much, Tom and Tony. A lot of good information. We tried to, to do it, do it right, do it quickly. Um, but please, as always, uh, for any of you out there, if you've got any insights that you need to share, any questions, any comments or critiques, uh, please send them to operations at lpresearch.org. Please visit the lpresearch.org website, explore, um, and again, reach out to us. We want to hear from you and uh, we take it uh, to heart what you say. Um, as long as it's productive. <laughs> um, so with that, I want to thank uh, Tony and Tom, our producer, Kevin Tran, uh, you all out there. Please, everybody stay safe, productive, uh, do your best, have fun. And uh, with that, uh, signing off from a 30-degree Gainesville, Florida, um, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.